As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. an experienced player like that who's won everything that he's won to put in that tackle at 1-0 up knowing that he's on four yellow cards was unbelievably moronic I would be livid if I was Eric Tenog knowing how important that next game is the wonder kid's grown up hasn't he you know he's, he's, he's matured incredibly and he's probably I would say the best player in the Premier League right now it's hard to believe where they were six months ago to where they are now you know they were chasing the ultimate perfection six months ago, like the bet, the greatest season any of us have ever seen. Like to see where they are now, it's crazy, really. Hi there, and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Adam Leventhal, and this is the weekend preview. I am joined by George Ellick, Bet Three Six Five, Steve Freeth, and the Athletics Tim Spears. It is one thousand up for Jurgen Klopp as Liverpool welcome Chelsea to Anfield. David Moyes is up against his former side Everton at the London Stadium with the pressure building. And fresh from the North London derby, Arsenal take on Manchester United in high spirits. That's all to come here on the weekend preview. Well, before we look ahead to the weekend, Manchester City came from behind to beat Spurs 4-2 at the Etihad on Thursday night. And Tim, you were there. That was a topsy-turvy game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was bizarre. Spurs in reverse is how I termed it last night because, you know, Spurs are normally awful in the first half and great in the second half. But this was um, this was the complete opposite. It was a crazy game. I don't think there'd been any shots on target after 30 minutes. And it was literally just a game of fouls and tackles. It was so boring. <laughs> it was so boring. Um, and yeah, I was, I was extremely jealous of all my athletic colleagues enjoying the, the belated Christmas party on Thursday night. And I'm thinking, what the heck am I doing here? And then it actually turned out to be a game um, worth attending. But yeah, somehow there were, there were four goals in 10 minutes either side of half time. Pretty open. City ran away with it. And then the, the fireworks continued after the game because Pep launched into this inc- astonishing rant about his own fans, which, you know... Completely unexpected, real sort of bombshell moment. And it wasn't like it was an off-the-cuff remark that he took back. I mean, in his press conference, you know, it was good, at least 15 minutes just absolutely going for it. Problems at the club and problems with the fans and problems with his team. So, yeah, um, a, a really interesting evening. 
He's been down that road before, though, hasn't he, with the fans? Yeah, and I guess uh, I guess you've got to say credit to Arsenal uh, for putting uh, pressure on City and causing him to to have this kind of reaction. Will it work? I mean, in terms of the fans, you, you can't just flick a switch and say shout louder. Uh, you know, they've got Wolves at home at two o'clock on Sunday, and I can't see that being a particularly you know sort of good atmosphere. In in my experience, and this is no criticism of, of of how to support your team but in my experience the city away is always the quietest of, of the big teams speaking as a, as a, as a fan and, and as a journalist you know I've been with Wolves a lot and you expect it to be quiet for for, for Wolves at home but last night Spurs at home you know a, a must-win game a night match and it was just so flat in the first half it was silent it was silent and yes yes the team were a, a little bit ponderous but Come on, like you know, you've got you've got one of the best teams in the world in front of you here. You expect a little bit of noise, but again, people who've been there will know it's it's very corporate heavy these days. When I went to the Manchester derby there in October, you I couldn't believe how many half and half scarves I, I saw in the home end, uh, which just wouldn't have been the case twenty years ago. It's a very different club these days, and I'm not sure Pep having around is going to change the atmosphere anytime soon because um, they, they expect success there now. Maybe they're bored, Tim. Maybe the people are just, like Pepsi, maybe he's bored of winning every time and maybe he just wants to get a bit of a reaction because they're a bit of a catch-up there with Arsenal. Yeah, he's just, I can understand why he did it. I mean, home fans anyway, generally, you know, the you know the away fans that go. He did mention the away fans, didn't he? And the away fans who go, they make a day of it, they get behind their team. And then, you know, whereas the home fans, they go. Sometimes it's a chore for them to go. But the away fans, they, you know, they, you know, died in the wall, aren't they? They, re- you know, they they really make a day of it. So I, I, I wasn't that surprised when I saw that. I, Pep's obviously frustrated at the way things are going. And he's he's, he's after a, a huge reaction, both his players and the fans, I think. But it's never it's never been good there, Steve, you know. Re- no, no, I understand uh, that, uh, yeah. ever, ever since the money came into the club, I just think there's probably a feeling amongst the fans of, well, we haven't we haven't earned this like we thought we'd have to earn it. And I know fans who much preferred, you know, the the, the League One days to now because um, it's just it's just become sterile. And I think there's a feeling of wow, what what, what do we do with this this success? You know, that that they've never been used to it, and they thought they'd have to earn it. But obviously, they did earn it, but in a, in a very different way. It's part of it as well that for the for the first half, as you mentioned, it was so flat, and then they were booed off. And you know, I can't really remember a time to, we've seen. Pep City booed off for the Etihad so I can see from his point of view you've got a fan base who are doing absolutely nothing for 45 minutes you know there's a level of entitlement there that they expect to turn up and be entertained and when they're not the only time they you know they raise their voice is to is to, exp- is to express their displeasure so you know but I guess Guardioli probably sees it as being won over the fans to come back and win the game 4-2 and say right we did our job where, where were you for yours? I guess that the fact that, that Spurs were Spursy let's be brutally honest in the game does have a little bit of a uh... A positive lining to it in the fact that Manchester City can keep pace with Arsenal and they can obviously keep the pressure on on the North London rivals. But Steve, from your point of view, from a bookie's point of view, what happens when a game like that looks so like it is going one way and then it top to top it well, twists the other way? Well, with, well, it's not great with our two goals ahead payer, Adam. Uh, to be honest with you, um, yeah, uh, we, we, you know we pay out pretty much bets on 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 the out, on uh, on ninety minute bets match result and and also in multiples as well. So when Spurs went two up uh, last night, we we automatically paid out on Spurs. So and then you're looking at the prices at half time. You see Manchester City at at at, at, at six to one at half time, and then you're thinking, well, Spurs have got history of being. I'm not anti-Spurs in any way, but Spursy. That, that's what everyone seems to say. So you're fearing the worst and then that, that goal goes in and you're thinking, bloody hell, we've already paid out on Spurs here. We're going to end up paying out on Manchester City as well. And 
Of course, that's what happened. And with Real Madrid winning from Villarreal last night, we say we did over over ten million quid last night on those two games. But like I say, you know, the violins aren't going to be out for bookmakers. I'm, I'm fully aware of that, Adam. And uh, and we go again this weekend. <laughs> we go again, indeed, we do. And uh, we kick off, and we'll, we'll get stuck into this game now um, with Liverpool against Chelsea Saturday, twelve thirty. And you look down the table, and you look down a bit further, and then you see. Liverpool and Chelsea down in what ninth and tenth. It does feel strange every time you see them, and I'm sure it's been discussed previously on the podcast in terms of their poor form. But they did both win last times out, and I suppose there is perhaps a little bit of optimism for for both sides. George, I think the wins are important. You know, I saw there were quite a few. Um tweets circulating over the last week or so saying this would be the first game of football of all time where both teams would lose given that their current form um but having both picked up wins uh but before you know it does feel like maybe um things are starting to improve I think with Chelsea especially where under Graham Potter we saw pretty much the same group of players being used as the Tuchel era it felt to anyone watching like they weren't necessarily buying into what Potter was trying to do. And we've started to see, I think, the cull of the kind of like that we haven't seen for a long time in the Premier League, you know, reminiscent of of the two Manchester City uh, recruitment sprees under their two new ownerships, where I think Chelsea's side in 12 months or so is going to look completely different to how it's looked under, under Thomas Tuchel. And looking through the team against Palace as well, you've got the new era, I guess, of Chelsea coming through in terms of, of Lewis Hall playing at left-back, uh, Badia Shield, the new centre-back uh, for big money, starting and playing really well, looking really composed, very, very good on the ball. Connie Gallagher starting in that in that midfield too, in behind alongside Jorginho, Carney Chukwameka playing as a 10. So it does feel like now, especially with Mudrik coming in, uh, Madweke, it seems like it's going to be another one. In a very short space of time, we've gone from seeing quite a stale Chelsea under Graham Potter to getting a glimpse of what the future might look like. And even though you know the performance was nothing to shout about against Palace, they did get the three points, which will give them a boost. I'm not sure if the same can be said for Liverpool. Yes, it's a positive for them um, to to squeak through against um, against Wolves and, and the goal itself from a, a very promising player. Again, harking towards what will be the future era of Liverpool that we'll talk about in a second. But, you know, it feels like with Liverpool, it's kind of papering over the cracks, although an FA Cup success is probably as much as their fans can can really hope for alongside some kind of European qualification for next season. And Tim, Jurgen Klopp in this game will reach 1,000 games in management. It's interesting when you were discussing Pep Guardiola a little bit earlier on, getting tetchy and things like that. That feels like it's it's trying to drive a reaction a little bit and to make everyone know, as you mentioned, that they are in a, in a genuine title race. Usually it would be Jurgen Klopp on the opposite side of that sort of mental battle. But he seems to be going through his own sort of, I don't know, process of realisation. It's certainly a testing period at Liverpool, isn't it? Yeah, goodness, absolutely. Um, It's hard to believe where they were six months ago to where they are now. You know, they were chasing the ultimate perfection six months ago, like the the greatest season any of us have ever seen. Like uh, To see where they are now, it's crazy, really. Liverpool relies so much on 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 energy and that sort of mo- that feeling and that momentum. And it, and if Klopp's gone, you know, in inverted commas, if he's gone, that'd be so hard to to get that back. You know, um, that energy and that vigor. You just wonder how much last season sort of taken its toll and how much of a refresh they need and where is rock bottom. You know, how much further are they going to sort of drop? So I mean, succession planning hasn't been good. They've suffered with injuries, but you know, George says. 
FA Cup success and maybe and maybe European qualification than much they can hope for this season. That's um, it. Just shows you how far they've fallen, really. So has Klopp's been there a good few years now, and the question he's got to ask himself, and I think he'll be honest with this. You know, is is, is has he got the drive and energy to go again? Because you know. I think we're seeing week by week just just what a rebuilding job he's got to do here. That there there aren't there aren't quick fixes coming. And Steve, the, the way that Chelsea seem to be trying to treat their ailments at the moment is just to buy as many players as possible and to to fill that squad up. And when we saw the the arrival of uh, Mikhailo Mudrik, who everyone was expecting to head to Arsenal, you know the fact that he went in at Chelsea and there was a little bit of. I don't know if it was mischief from people saying like he didn't necessarily look like he wanted to be playing in a Chelsea shirt. Now we should see him play and perform well. Do you think that that has an impact on how people view Chelsea as a as a whole, or or is it not just simply you know oh yes they needed one more piece in the in the jigsaw? It's it's far more comprehensive than that. Yeah, it seems very very scattergun, doesn't it? I think Burley's bought 15 players in, really, like a bit of a kid in a sweet shop trying to buy these players. And obviously there's a load of mischief about, you know, just Arsenal being linked with a player and then Chelsea coming in and, and, and buying one. So, so the 15 players that he's, he's bought in, they're going to be massive under massive scrutiny. From a betting point of view, Chelsea and Liverpool's outright price from pre-season is more or less the same price it is now to finish in the top four this season. So you can just show how both teams have uh, have been in decline this season. You know, looking at his, 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 his recent form in, in Ukraine with seven goals and six assists, five goal involvements in the Champions League as well, where he caught many people's uh, eyes there. But it, it was just like a, a season with Graham Potter. You know, Klopp's been there out of a thousand games throughout his career you know Graham Potter's just been there for 20 games at Chelsea and he's already massive under pressure it, it seems to me so you know historically this used to be a, a big game with you know the two teams going for the title you know this is top four is the best they can get out of it and uh, it looks like a very disappointing uh, season for uh, for both clubs Steve I'm not gonna you know ask you to put this on the site but um putting you on the spot a little bit how would you price up how would you price up Potter being um Chelsea manager first game of, of next season Good question. Uh, eight to eleven, yes. You think he goes in the summer? No, no. I, I think he stays. Basically, regardless, I think he's part of this new recruitment drive. It's a project. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna. Be, it looked pretty foolish from you know from you know for the club to. I know there's, they've got a history, but this is a different regime now, and it, and it feels like it just how it ends the how the season ends for Chelsea if they take a, a couple more defeats, a heavy defeats as well, then. Yeah, the pressure could be on and, and, and fan pressure these days is, uh, is massive, isn't it? Well, next, we will focus at the bottom of the table where you really feel that jobs are on the line. Frank Lampard returns to West Ham and we'll discuss that game next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
You're listening to the weekend preview here on the Athletic Football Podcast. Let's talk about the basement battle. And it is West Ham against Everton Saturday, three o'clock kickoff. And a lot of talk that if David Moyes doesn't win the game with West Ham, that he may well go. I mean, George, from your point of view, do you think that that's that's harsh or do you think that it's just a, a natural result of a decline that we've seen? I think it can be both, can't it? I mean, it does feel very harsh that somebody who can do you know, a 9 or a 10 out of 10 job for, for two years can then find themselves out of a job just, just months later when things take a turn. But that the nature of football is that, you know, the one variable that you can change that has a big sway in terms of the trajectory of a club is the manager. Um, Adam, you know that full well with the club that you cover mm. uh, on a day-to-day basis. Oh, yeah. And um, <laughs> and so, so for, for David Moyes, I think you can feel incredibly sorry for him if if it does end this way. I do think that he probably wouldn't struggle to find another job. You know, it felt like when he went into to West Ham a couple of years ago, there was quite a lot of surprise. Uh, I think from both West Ham fans and, and the wider football, you know, public about the fact that West Ham had gone back for Moyes, given their ambitions. I think it's probably surprised everybody that that he was able to do the job that he did and, and take them close to, to European glory. I think he would leave West Ham with his reputation in much better tack than it was prior to taking that job. Um, but for West Ham, given the, the progress they've made, given the outlay, you know, this is a club who in the summer signed a player who was starting in midfield for the for the World Cup favourites in, in Paqueta uh, over in Qatar. You know, their ambitions are, are not to be a team who can challenge in Europe one year and then regress back into mid-table before pushing again. They want to be a mainstay in the top six. And, and for that reason, when you're threatened with relegation and you know those odds with Bet365 on, on their relegation are, are tumbling week by week at the moment, you probably have to change the one thing that you can change. And I've got no doubt that if, if they do lose this game or, or possibly even draw it, if the performance isn't up to scratch, then they will go out... And they'll probably look to recruit a manager of, of the similar profile of where they want to be uh, and look to appoint someone who maybe has that experience uh, of, of, of managing an elite team. So you have to feel sorry for him. But, but similarly, this is a results business. And at the moment, the results are, are not good enough. It, it feels like that sort of another pendulum moment for, for West Ham potentially, because they did that before when Moyes was actually replaced by Pellegrini, wasn't he? And then Moyes came back in afterwards so it it just seems a little bit of a a difficult situation for them to be in once again uh, to think oh well we need to we need to get a manager that's going to get us where where we need to get I mean people are talking about the fact that yes if David Moyes was sacked then Everton may well want to take him on it's 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 quite a bizarre situation to be in Tim yeah it is it is but that you know that's testament to the work that he's done throughout you know a very successful career I think it would be hard to argue if if he went now given the money they've spent and given where their ambitions are compared to the clubs around them I think even David Moyes would 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 maybe sort of concede that at the moment things 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 aren't just working uh maybe again like Liverpool a club that suffered a bit of a hangover from last season but given the success he saw last season yeah I, th- I, th- I think even even David Moyes if he was to go now would find it hard to put an argument up for for why he should stay in the job purely purely because you know from an owner's point of view that th- this club can 
we said this about a few clubs, but this club cannot get relegated. It would be an absolute disaster. Um, I, I, I do think they'll be okay because because they've got they've got a decent squad. And do you know what? One win and they're and they're up in in fourteenth. So things can change pretty quickly. And to be honest, I, I think I think they will from this weekend. They brought Danny Ings in, or they're, or they're going to as a shrewd signing. Um, I think they'll beat Everton, and, and, and I think th- things will improve. But whether he clings on to his job is another matter. And Steve, when you when you do sprinkle a bit of gold dust into your into your side inject it especially in in January like West Ham are going to do with with Danny Ings bringing him in from from Aston Villa not only does it it weaken a, a potential relegation uh, rival it will certainly just give everyone a little bit of a boost won't it yeah massively i think i think villa are, are, are going to be safe this season without a doubt and 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 Danny Ings didn't seem to fit in in, in Emery's plans i'm i'm a Huge fan of Danny Ings. I know some people may question his injury record, his mobility, how he fits into Emery's system, but his scoring rate of 0.66 per 90 this season for Villa, he hasn't played, I think he's played 90 minutes three times. I think he's, he's fantastic. And what West Ham have, will sign is a, or have signed, is a proven Premier League goal scorer, a hard worker who's got six goals already this season. And, and West Ham need that because if you look at West Ham's XG, they've scored 15 goals this season. Their XG is 25 for goals scored. So people like Bowen, who were fantastic last season, his XG is, is, is his goals for XG is completely is well down. Antonio, Scamacca, Paqueta, all the all these players, and a lot of new signings that David Moyes or whoever signed them just haven't worked at the football club. He knows the division. I think he'll score goals, and we're we're. We're six to one that he, he finishes with fifteen or more, and sixty six to one that he ends up with uh, with twenty or more, just like he did for Southampton a few seasons ago. I think it's a I think it's a decent signing for West Ham. And George, just a word on on Everton because we focused a lot there on on West Ham. I mean, it, often we talk about clubs in crisis. Everton are, are typifying that tag at the moment with with fans protesting, the owner coming out unpredictably and I mean it is it is genuinely and this isn't to sort of heap more sort of condemnation on the fans because they're going through the middle at the moment but it, it does look like a mess at the moment it's a, it's a nightmare for for Frank Lampard to try and pull this one together because you you're not even trying to say well let's let's do it for the <laughs> let's do it for the fans because the fans are thinking well we want something else as well so it just seems a very difficult um, situation to negotiate at the moment. It is. I think you can separate two things at Everton at the moment. There's the the on pitch stuff, which clearly isn't good enough. And you know, we are getting to the stage now where Lampard, we say it every week on the pod, is given more time. I think in part because there was, you know, if we remember back to the the kind of circus around Lampard being appointed, where he was effectively the the anointed one by their fans, which I think might have bought him a little bit more time. And you know, of course, the the, the successful them succeeding in, in avoiding relegation last season, he still got some credit from that. But I think the the off field stuff and you know the the issues with the ownership, the protests that we saw after the game against Southampton, which was organised before they lost that game, uh, the protests it's already being organised for the beginning of February against in, in the home game against Arsenal as well. I'm sure the away fans at this one will. We'll be making their, their their voices heard. I think often when we are outside of looking into a football club, you can mistake fan unrest as purely down to poor results and poor performances. Where I think at Everton at the moment, it runs a lot deeper than that. I think even if Everton go on a run of, of four consecutive games in a row, we won't, four consecutive wins in a row, we won't suddenly see the, the protest stop and everything forgotten about the, the issues that the fans have with the ownership. So it, the club is a, is a total mess. You are right. I, I still maintain that in my mind, the squad is 
is easily capable of, of putting in performances that are a lot better than what we're seeing at the moment. I think individual quality in, in the team is, is quite clearly there. Injuries ha- haven't helped at all. I think if this Everton side were to go down, quite a lot of the talent, even lots of the players they brought in in the summer would be picked off by Premier League clubs and, and would go on to be successful in doing so. We talk about how there's one variable you could change uh, and you have to think that if Frank Lampard, again, um, if his side lose this one, then um, it might be his time up. But then suddenly you've got an owner who the fans absolutely won't trust to make the decision to replace him and who they don't want to make the decision to replace him. So it doesn't really fix anything in terms of what the, the fans are protesting about. Yeah, we shall see. It's it's certainly on, on a knife edge, that fixture. Um Let's deal now with um, Manchester City's next game. Obviously, we, we kicked off uh, the show talking about their victory coming from behind to beat Spurs. They take on uh, Wolves on Sunday at two o'clock. And, and Tim, you mentioned about Pep Guardiola being very critical of the, of the fans against Spurs. We'll see whether they're noisy or not, I guess, against, uh, against Wolves. I mean, just in, in general terms, where do you rank this, this City side at the moment? Do you think they're struggling because they're not being pushed as far as they were by Liverpool and they they're sort of they've sort of been caught in a surprising situation by Arsenal they they haven't quite got their heads around it yet yeah potentially and i guess we'll see if if the fire that he sort of lit last night has has um has a big impact in the coming weeks i mean they play arsenal soon they're playing on friday in the fa cup which is quite annoying really because we've all been waiting <laughs> Uh, very excitedly for Arsenal to play Man City this season as sort of the ultimate test of where Arsenal are at and the title rivals going head to head and yeah it's in the FA Cup which is a shame because it'll be you know a reserve fixture basically there's some interesting dynamics at play at City I mean they were breathtaking last night when they when, when they turned it on it felt like no matter how well Spurs do or play here this is all about how well City play and in the first half City were just so slow and so, and so ponderous and all they had to do was lift the tempo in the second half and Spurs just just wilted, and it sort of feels like to me it's more about a, a sort of a, a, a feeling or a motivation or you know it's, it's, they've got the best team in 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 the land. There's no doubt about that. They've got the the best striker in the world. They've probably got the best manager in the world. So it's it's less about sort of tactics for me. And, oh, do they need any January signings? Because the answer is no. I think motivation is a big part of it. And I think Pep can see that. And I think he can see the challenge. Uh, he spoke a bit, a little bit about it last night. The, 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 the challenge for this club to sort, to sort of go again. What does it want to be? What do they want to win? And what do the players want to do? And um, it feels like in its own little way, a, a little bit of a, a, of a turning point. You know, Liverpool and Chelsea have dropped deep. But City, by their high standards, this is a drop for them as well. We shouldn't forget that. And Pep sees that, he recognises it, and now he'll want a reaction. And I was getting really worried about Erling Haaland. I thought, you know, it, it was all over for him. Three games without a goal, massive drought. And you thought, nah, he's never going to come back from this. Obviously, he was, and he got back on the on the score sheet. Do you think it was almost insulting that people were saying, oh, is he is he actually that good? Is he making... Manchester City worse when he's now racked up what twenty two goals in the in the Premier League. It was it's nonsensical <laughs> argument, isn't it? Yes, it's ridiculous to take a guy who is well on course to be breaking records and suggest that he's making City any worse. I don't necessarily think the team that was set up against Spurs played to his strengths at all. I think Kevin De Bruyne is pretty much the perfect. You know, if if God could create a footballer to play creating chances for, for Erling Haaland, then that would be Kevin De Bruyne. And so therefore playing with Alvarez playing a kind of 
hybrid role off the right-hand side, but also playing alongside Haaland doesn't really suit him. Um, there was no one in terms of Grealish playing off the left. There was no one really, no Cancelo there either. There wasn't really a player on the pitch whose job it was was, was to create for Haaland. And, and that's why he maybe looked a little bit clunky last night, although he still obviously scored a goal. I was one of those people before the season started who said that I thought Haaland would maybe struggle to adapt to life in the Premier League, one of my finest opinions. Um, but having seen him be so devastating for, for City, I think in this game, it's so easy to be so driven by tiny molecules of evidence to make sweeping statements and a couple of, you know, a, a mini drought of three games for Erling Haaland in a spell where City haven't been at their best doesn't change the weight of evidence, not just this season, but behind Erling Haaland. You know, he's a, if, if Pep Guardiola um, cannot make Erling Haaland a strength for City, then that's down to, to him rather than the, the player. He's still 1-14 to on to, to be top scorer in this division. He's only about 5-1 to one to score 50 Premier League goals this season, which of course has never <laughs> has never happened before. He's odds on to win the PFA award. And of course, he went 280 minutes before last night, before scoring, before even having a shot on target. And everybody seems to scrutinise, well, how many touches is he having? Everyone's obsessed with how many touches this fella has. And he, he had 19 last night. I mean, to be fair, I'd have scored that header as well. But, you know, and that's what he does. He puts the ball in the back of the net. That's why he's one of the world's best. And Wolves obviously have not had a great reputation for, for scoring goals, but they've brought in a new player in Pablo Salavia. Lopetegui's sort of new era seems to be starting to move in the, in the right direction. Tim, are you, are you feeling more heartened, especially after our discussion about West Ham and Everton and the fact that you've managed to, I say you, Wolves have managed to sort of leapfrog them both and seem to be heading upwards and, and safe? Yeah, but Adam, you say goals are a problem and then they've signed this bloke from PSG. Well, he hasn't scored all season, so... <laughs> That's true. Uh, non, no goals in 19 appearances. So um, we'll fit perfectly. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It is It is hilarious. <laughs> I mean, Diego Costa hasn't scored for 18 months, so they so they signed him to solve their goal-scoring problems. Lo and behold, he hasn't scored yet. Wolves will be absolutely fine. I don't, I, the, you know, the team's ridiculously good, really. It's just, it's just, miss, it's just missing a striker. Danny Ings would have been yeah. fine, to be honest. At least he knows where the back of the net is. Um, yeah, I, no, I've, I've always said it, even under Bruno Large, when they were they were they were nose diving towards the bottom of the table. It, this is a mid. This should be a mid table team looking upwards. You know that that's how good they are. That's how good the quality is in a lot of areas in the squad. Just missing that striker. It's, uh, we've been saying it all season long, but I do think. There will be enough goals being scored here or there. Pedence has started to finally score goals now for the first time in his Wolves career. And his form and the form of a couple of other players, particularly Nelson Semedo, um, is what heartens me from, from from a Wolves point of view because Lopetegui is is improving players. I'm not sure you could necessarily obviously say that for, for Graham Potter at Chelsea or, I mean, even Conte at Spurs. You know, there's a question mark over how many players he's improved. But but Wolves' Wolves's players are improving. They're better at the back. They're better up front. I do think they'll be fine. Um, I mean, that midfield is, is insane now. If Sarabia is, is classed as a midfielder, you know, him, Lamina, Neves, Mate, Mateus Nunes, Matinho, the quality they've got is, is is ridiculous. Craig Dawson's a really shrewd signing from West Ham. They've done really good January business. They've been quick about it. They've brought quality in. Uh, Wolves fans rightly asking where these signings were when they were seventh in the table uh, and, and, and needed to kick on with additions which never really came. But yeah, uh, unlikely to get something at City this weekend given what I saw from City in the second half last night. But yeah, Wolves should be fine. Right, let's have a little quiz question. Are you ready for this? Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. So, Wolves' last win at the Etihad came back in October 2019 en route to completing oh, a yeah, league double 
over Manchester City that season. Yeah, mm. I, I bet the um, I bet the Etihad was quite loud for for, for you uh, that day. <laughs> Traore wasn't it, Tim? He was uh, flying that day. Yeah, he hasn't scored since. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. So one of four sides to do so during the Pep Guardiola era. But who were the other three teams to complete a league double over Manchester City? Come on, let's have some guesses. I think Man, did Man, Man United do it once? That is one of the answers, Tim. Well done. Crystal Palace? No, no. not on the list. Not on the list. Leicester? No. That's a shame. Mm. Another big team. We're normally better than this, Adam. I've got Liverpool and Chelsea written down here. That's the only... Uh, but That's about 12 stabs that I've had. So that's the, there, can't be, there can't be many left. <laughs> Chelsea is one of them. Yeah. Tim had Manchester Who's United. Third? And there is one other team. Go on, George. So I've got to get the third one now. So I want to get George. it in one go. Uh, oh, Spurs? Indeed, it was Spurs. It doesn't happen often. Next, we will focus on the leaders. Beating them doesn't happen often. They take on Manchester United, who fancy it this season. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. Alejandro is not um, isn't in the list of the player for tomorrow. I spoke with him and I explained the this attitude, this uh, behavior. I don't like. These are quotes that have just emerged from um, Leandro Trossard's uh, agency. In conclusion, it says, it's important Brighton cooperate with a potential transfer during this 
transfer window. And it also says that after the World Cup, there was an altercation between Leandro Trossard and another Brighton player over a trivial matter. And they claim since then, Roberto De Zerbi no longer speaks to Leandro Trossard. Really strong words coming from yeah. Leandro Trossard's agency. So this is the weekend preview here on the Athletic Football Podcast and let's get stuck into the leaders Arsenal against Manchester United Sunday 4.30 and a new addition for Arsenal uh, in Leandro Trossard. He's going he's gonna to add just an extra element to a to a, a juggernaut, it seems, at the moment, George, that is is heading in the right direction. You know, they, they keep on being set up for, oh, it's going to, you know, the wheels are going to come off but they keep on coming through them. It just seems to be a, a very happy environment at the moment for Arsenal. Yeah, it does. It, it, they clearly need to bring in someone in this role just for some depth. I do look at Arsenal and see just how you know united they seem to be and how this regular first team, even though Jesus has come out to no real ill effect, you wonder if, if bringing somebody in and giving them minutes might rock the boat a little bit. In Trossard, um, I always also think with Brighton... And with Brentford, you've got to be a little bit careful in terms of buying players off them. Um, they're both pretty pretty masterful at knowing when is the right time to sell and at what price as well. I think it's quite hard to, to beat them both in the market, especially with Mr. Bloom and Mr. Benham's background in in knowing what's value and what's not, as as, as Stephen's employers probably found out um, at some point in the last uh, couple of decades. But he's, he's clearly a quality player. He's someone who always looked so lively for Brighton and has managed to add that that end product to his game. You know, previously he was the kind of player who he'd always sit up and take notice, but thought you know he wasn't necessarily getting the goals and assists that he that, that he should do. That changed last season, and um, you know he's he's probably a little bit older than than Arsenal's blueprint in terms of, of the the age that. They want to sign, but having lost out on Madrid, they clearly feel like he's a, a low-risk signing, somebody without the, the massive financial outlay of a Madrid as well, um, and somebody who's proven himself in the Premier League. So, um, yeah, I mean, it it doesn't feel like the kind of signing that would unsettle uh, what is a, a well-oiled winning machine. And Steve, you you mentioned about Erling Haaland pretty much being nailed on for all the all the awards. Obviously, you know, nailed on for finishing top of the scoring charts in in the Premier League. But Martin Odegaard has had a wonderful season so far. Obviously scored a great goal uh, in the North London derby. One player of the month for November and December. Where does he rank in terms of the odds for, for winning the PFA award? Yeah, well, he's he's now actually second favourite, uh, Adam. He has been 100 to 1 uh, earlier in the season. And uh, he's now second favourite behind behind Haaland. That you know the wonder kid's grown up, hasn't he? You know he's 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 matured incredibly, and he's probably I would say the best player in the Premier League right now. From um, with my untrained eye, anyway, goals, assists, the way he carries his 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 team forward, and everyone at Arsenal seems to be enjoying it again. The you know the Trossard signing as as Georgia just mentioned there, I think I think is fascinating. I, I cast my mind back to Tino Esprilla during Newcastle many years ago and Newcastle were nine points clear and I'm not saying that you know, the signing of Esprit was the reason that Newcastle didn't win the league that year but I think the, the Trossard knockers are talking about has he got an attitude problem or, or, or whatever is the reason why Brighton let him go and then George mentioned about Rochi, uh, rocking the boat and uh, listen he had a, a disappointing uh, Trossard I'm just going off, off course here but Trossard had, had, had a difficult World Cup as well so he probably hasn't uh, re- uh, recovered from that so I, A I'm interested to see how Trossard does at, at Arsenal B? 
I've never seen Trossard and George in the same room. And <laughs> George, will you just do a goggles impression like for me? Just do a goggles impression for me, just to see if it's... There you go. <laughs> so, obviously, the podcast listeners, I've got no idea what he's going on about. But um, And going back to Odegaard, yeah, brilliant season. Probably my favourite player uh, this season. Listen, Arsenal backers, they were 50-1 to 1 at the start of the season. They are now finally favourites at 10 to 11. Let's see how they react. I suppose at half time against Spurs, they would have been rubbing their hands and they'd have been a, a little bit shorter than 10 to 11. But it's all going very swimmily at the moment for, for Arsenal, of course. And this is a, another big game. And how, how much do you think it will play on the mind of, of Mikel Arteta that, that Manchester United are the only team to have beaten them this season, Tim? Do you think it will be, he'll, he will have sort of learnt lessons from that? He'll, he'll refer back to it? Or do you think that the actual you know, the tapestry of the season has moved on from what it was back in, in the beginning of September. So things have changed since then, haven't they? I'm not sure. I'm not sure he'll be, he'll be too fussed about that. It, it, it's a home game as well. And what, I mean, watching Arsenal brush aside their, their hated rivals at Spurs last week, it definitely, definitely convinced me that, you know, this is obviously, this is theirs for the taking. It's their title to lose, but they, but they look like title winners, not just with the football they play. I, I was, I was expecting that and I was impressed with that and the confidence that they move the ball, but it's more the fight that's in them and the game management in the second half. And they look like such a proper team with, with and without the ball. I mean, it's interesting earlier in the season, we were kind of saying, Oh, uh, who's Arsenal's biggest test to come. I remember, I remember us saying, Oh, Man United's a good test of where they're at. That's flipped now. It's, it's actually it's, this is the test for Man United to see you know where they're at against against Arsenal. And the guys mentioned Trossard. I think he's I think he's a shrewd addition because we've talked about depth being one of their few sort of weaknesses. I know what Steve means about you know potentially sort of a bad apple, but I think we sort of we do label any player who wants to leave a club and sign for someone else as sort of a bad apple a bit too easily. Harry Kane's always the example I think of because you know he was absolutely desperate to leave Spurs um, not so long ago, but you would never call him you know an unprofessional player. He's the exact opposite, you know, the the, the model professional in so many ways. But he was trying to force a move last last um, summer, so. Um, yeah, I think Trossard's, Trossard's a good addition, and um, yeah, very confident that Arsenal can sort of can sort of keep this run going now. And the Casemiro absence that's that is going to have an impact on on Manchester United, isn't it, Steve? Very much so. Again, um, he was two hundred to one only a, only seemingly a few weeks ago for the PFA, and now he's into and now he's into forty to one. But he was actually on the bench in the in this game at the start of the season when I, when I thought Arsenal were unfortunate to lose really um, by three goals to one. Of course, the only game that they've lost this season, the VAR, a bit of controversy uh, there as well. Scott McTominay played. I suppose he'll play in this game as well. But we, we everyone knows he's won five Champions League uh, medals, Casemiro. But he's I want to see how Manchester United players react to him not being in the side because he just brings so much doesn't he? his big game mentality his, his reading of the game his defensive awareness his ability on the ball you know he's now up to speed with the Premier League he's, he's been I mean, everyone knew about him anyway but he's been a, a fantastic addition uh, to Manchester United and I just I just want to see how Man, uh, Man United can actually play without him in the side it's, uh, it's massive boots to fill I think in this game for them I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, Steve, but obviously the stick that everyone's been beating Arsenal with is that, oh, come on, look, there's loads of games left in the season. You know, they'll, it, it will all fall, fall apart. Have you got odds on leaders at the halfway point of a season going on to then win the title? Well, I'll tell you what I can give you, Adam. They, Arsenal are 25 to 1 not to lose another game this season. 
So, okay. yeah, and they are now odds on to win the Premier League at 10 to 11 currently. And uh, yeah, I know they've got Manchester City to play twice. And of course, this game against Manchester United. But yeah, we are, we're 25 to 1 for them to only have lost one game this season. And that being against United. Just a quick thing on Casemiro, because I mean, I obviously agree that he's been an incredible signing and, and has shown more to his game than I, I probably thought that he had. But for all of his good work, for an experienced player like that who's won everything that he's won, to put in that tackle at 1-0 up, knowing that he's on four yellow cards, was unbelievably moronic. I would be livid if I was Eric Tenog, knowing how important that next game is. Like it was, you know, I think he was kind of lucky not to get a red card. It was like a horrible lunge, dangerous tackle, like cynical, not going for the ball. Yeah, from your experience, pros, a, a magnificent player. And I think that 40 to 1 for him to be um, to be player, player of the year might be better value because he's been so good and United continued to impress. But yeah, I'd be, I'd be very, very annoyed. Right, so that wraps up uh, our featured games to look out for this weekend. Uh, the full Premier League weekend looking like this. Obviously, it gets underway lunchtime on Saturday with Liverpool against Chelsea before four Saturday, three o'clocks. Leicester against Brighton, Southampton against Aston Villa, uh, West Ham against Everton and Nottingham Forest at Bournemouth. Then Newcastle head to Crystal Palace. That's the tea time game on Saturday and then on Sunday as we've been talking about two o'clock Man City against Wolves Uh, Leeds take on Brentford before it is Arsenal against Manchester United at 4.30 then on Monday night Tottenham head to Fulham Uh, George when you look at it big games in the in the relegation battle at three o'clock on Saturday including Leicester taking on Brighton as well yeah we've had a bit of luck on this podcast recently um, with a few recommended bets we obviously had the Stevenage um, win over over Villa um, last week Arsenal at, at Spurs I, I can't believe that Brighton are 11 to 10 to beat Leicester here I think that is a huge price I think Leicester are operating at, at a very very low level especially defensively and, and every time you watch Deserby's Brighton against far stronger opposition that they, they dominate games and they create chances at will yes it being factored into the price is is home team advantage I think in this instance I don't think we're seeing necessarily a great deal of improvement in performances at home from Leicester. I also think it could get fairly nasty quite quickly. I think it's a it's a nightmare opposition for for Brendan Rodgers to, to come up against it, given where they are at the moment. So, in Brighton, look to me to be so far clear of Leicester currently, and for Leicester to justify um, their price in this one, I think we'll have to see a huge improvement from them. So, um, yeah, I think Brighton. I mean, Brighton look to me at the moment to be probably the most exciting team to watch as a neutral in the, in the Premier League. Uh, always full of goals, and last time out carving Liverpool open at will in that second half. Steve, a word on Newcastle. Obviously, you know, we didn't mention when we were talking about Arsenal that they went to went to the Emirates and, and held them to a, a nil-nil draw, then left it late against um, Fulham last week, going to Crystal Palace. They will be thinking, yeah, we're, we're looking good for the Champions League, which is a remarkable story, isn't it? It is. And yeah, patience, bit, bit of fortune, penalty, but uh, uh, patience. And that's what good teams do. And that's what teams full of confidence do. And you know, they're 14 games unbeaten now in the Premier League, never gone 15. So I'm sure Newcastle fans would love it, absolutely love it, if they did get to 15 and go unbeaten <laughs> here. Um, goalkeepers very good defensively, brilliant. Trippier's set pieces are, 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 are just a, a joy to watch, really. I'm still waiting for a couple of centre-halves to score, like uh, Cher and Botman, but uh, yeah, I'd like them to score more often from a punting point of view. Uh, Gamares' injury is, 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 is certainly a, a concern. And I don't know how much it was taken out of him in midweek. Crystal Palace against that performance against Manchester United. But Newcastle go there. Their odds on to win, just like they are to finish 
in the top four. And historically, this has a, a history. It just It's normally a low-scoring game, these two. I think they've been two nil-nils this season, one cup game, one league game. Just one of the last 13 clashes between these two have, have actually had over two and a half goals. I think Newcastle go there full of confidence. I'm expecting them to win as well. Good times for Newcastle. And Tim, a word on Spurs. Three defeats out of their last four in the Premier League. Obviously, they'll still be sort of licking their wounds after throwing it away against Manchester City, losing the North London derby and then heading to to Fulham, who will be confident, you know, despite the fact that they didn't they didn't win against Newcastle. They're in a good place. Spurs are in a sort of a, a bit of a dicey, dicey state at the moment. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a Fulham win on, on form. Um, Spurs have only won once since, since the World Cup. In nine of their last 10 league matches, nine of their last 10, Spurs have conceded two goals. It's remarkable, and it's even more remarkable because Antonio Conte is their manager. So I was a bit bored this week and did some number crunching and went through his whole career. And he, his, his team... Wowzers. You had a lot of time his, to spare. But it was worth it because... Um, so basically every single season he's managed, his team never concede more than a goal a game. Never. The worst was Chelsea conceding 38 and 38 when they finished fifth in his second season. And we're going back, you know, to like 2009 when he was manager at Bari here. That's that's his worst record. This season, they're conceding a goal and a half per game. It's by far the worst he's ever had it as a manager in terms of a, a defensive point of view. And that's the minimum you expect from a Conte team is to be is to be hard to beat and not concede many chances or goals. He's got his best defence out as well. You know, there's no one injured. But Hugo Lloris keeps dropping goals in and uh, certain players are woefully out of form. So yeah, I don't know how he fixes that to be honest, because they're not going to go out in the market and spend fifty million on a new centre half. So yeah, big problems for Spurs. Just just go in the dressing room and just say keep it tight, lads. That's all you need to do. <laughs> yeah, keep it tight. That's all you need to say. Um, right before we go, it is the uh, the six score challenge. Steve, take it away. Yeah, it's the free to play game as we know, predicting scores of six matches with a chance to win a million pound, and there are consolation prices for three, four, and five. Uh, George, I'm going to start with you here. Uh, Leicester, Brighton. Nil, two. Okay. West Ham, Everton. One, nil. Adam, Crystal Palace, Newcastle. I will go one, two. Okay. And Leeds, Brentford. Two, two. Okay. Save the best till last for the main man, Timothy. Man City, Wolves, six, nil. Hmm. Mm, why do you always do this to me? <laughs> you know why. <laughs> uh three one city. Okay, and Arsenal, Manchester United. Mm, uh two two. Okay, let's hope so. Let's hope for some entertaining games. Absolutely. Fingers crossed. That is it for us here on the weekend preview. Uh it's been a pleasure to come on board, gents. Thank you very much for your for your company on this one. For unrivaled coverage of the January transfer window, don't forget you can subscribe to the Athletic for all the ins and outs and all the stories, the background uh, for just uh, 1.99 a month for the first 12 months. Just head to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thanks to Tim, to George and to Steve and we'll see you on the next one. Take care. The Athletic.